Well, uh, would you open the scriptures to Proverbs chapter 16? the scripture that uh, I'm going to start with this evening. I want to show you a picture here. uh, Of a structure that's in Rome that's uh, about 2,000 years old. It's called the Arch of Titus. Arch of Titus. If you went there, if you went to Rome today, that was is one of the two remaining arches uh, from the Roman times, and uh, it commemorates the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, here's a relief that's on that arch. You won't be able to see this very well, <clears throat> but it shows uh, the Roman soldiers carrying off some of the things that were in the temple like the seven-branched candlestick and uh, some of the trumpets and things that were there in the temple in Jerusalem when it was destroyed. Uh, So here you have a monument to a great military conquest, the destruction of Jerusalem and the putting down of the, the Jewish revolt that happened in 70 A.D., So it's a a great monument. But uh, I show you that as a way of making a contrast to what the Scripture says here, Proverbs 16, 32. says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Now, Titus was considered a great person amongst the Jewish people because he captured a city. And there's still a monument to him there in Rome. But God says, I have a different view of things. And his view is that he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. So to be slow to anger, to rule your spirit, is a far greater victory in God's eyes than anything that Alexander the Great or Titus or Napoleon or any other famous military leader ever has done. It's a far greater victory in terms of eternity than what Titus or any other military leader was able to accomplish in uh, capturing a city. So I want to speak to you tonight some thoughts related to anger. And uh, I'm going to make reference really to two sources, well, three, of course, the Bible, but... uh, uh, some writings or some thoughts from a man named Richard Baxter. You've probably heard of him. He's the the Puritan 
that wrote uh, the book The Saints' Everlasting Rest. Some of you probably have read that. And then uh, the other man would be a man named Fenelon. They lived really at about the same time. Uh, Baxter lived from 1615 uh, 1615 to 1691, and Fenelon lived from 1651 to uh, 1715. So they overlapped one another. One was a Protestant and one was a Catholic. But they had some things that I think are valuable for us here this this evening. So I want to... um, you make reference to some of their writings here as we examine this subject of anger. Um, first of all, and most of it will be taken uh, from a little book uh, where it's some, some thoughts on anger from uh, Richard Baxter. Now, the actual uh, title on the book is Anger Management, but I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure uh, Richard Baxter... Uh, what, didn't put that title on it. <laughs> That's a contemporary title. Uh, nevertheless, the uh, thoughts on it are very relevant for us today. Um, he, he starts out by saying that, that anger can be good if it's used in the right manner and in the right measure. Uh, if it's used for the glory of God, the good of ourselves, the good of others. But he stresses that most anger is not that way. Most anger is sinful. And then he lists 11 criteria to determine if anger, the anger that uh, you're looking at or feeling, uh, is sinful. And I want to give you a handout here that has these 11 criteria on it, uh, ways to determine if anger is sinful. Now, a number of these, I'll just put, go with half over here again. Mike, maybe you could hand these out. I ran off about 45 or 47 copies, so maybe one to a family and then everybody else can have one. Now, like I said, a number of these overlap, and we'll just talk about uh, the various ones here briefly. Um, what I did, uh, tried to do is take some thoughts from the rest of the book. This is at the first, uh, first three or four pages of the book. And then he talks, you know, expands on some of these later on. So I just thought we could look at each one of them separately. Uh, <clears throat> I'll wait just a minute here. Baxter was a Puritan pastor at the time of Cromwell and uh, wrote a number of things that were important at that time. And like I say, the one that survived uh, probably the best known thing is is the saints' everlasting rest. All right. 
The first, everyone get one that's needing one or close, are you close to one anyway? If not, you can get one afterwards then. The first thing, obviously, when it is opposed to God or good, if anger is opposed to God or good, then it's not good anger. It's the wrong kind. And then it gives an example, as in the case of those who become angry with us because we seek to win them to the Lord. I mean, if, if a person becomes angry at you because you're trying to share the gospel with them, that's uh, not righteous anger. Or separates them, uh, separate them from their sins. This could even be a Christian you're talking to, trying to... Uh, share with them concerning a need in their life, and if they're angry at you because of that, we all, you can be sure that's not a right, righteous anger. The fact is that many times um, when we're mad at someone else, what, who we're really mad at is God. Um, you see that there uh, with the situation with uh, Cain and Abel. Cain was so angry with his brother Abel that he killed him. But who was, he, who was Cain really mad at? He was really angry with God. So um, if we, um, many times we're, we're lashing out at someone and yet really what we're saying is we, we are displeased dissatisfied or mad at God for his providential dealings in our lives. So that's the first thing we need to be careful of, when it's opposed to God or good. The next one, when it disturbs our reason and hinders us from thinking rightly. Now this this is a, a major one here. When it disturbs our reason... What anger can do, it can make us so we don't even think straight. And in other words, another word we use for anger is we get mad, which means it's a form of madness, which means it's like you're crazy. Reason has left you, and uh, basically, you could almost say for, it's a temporary insanity. Well, you know that that is the wrong kind of anger. When reason is not in control anymore, your God-given reason, uh, when that's not in control anymore, it's not a godly anger. Um, Baxter says, Sinful anger is temporary madness. It's a sickness of your mind, and also it's an enemy of your body because it can be so bad that it can actually affect you physically, make you physically sick. So when it disturbs our reason and hinders us from thinking rightly, you know it's not a godly anger. Number three, when it causes us to act unbecomingly so as to use sinful words or actions, and that happens so often when we become angry, we, we, we say things that uh, we regret because we know they're wrong, we know they're sinful, uh, using sinful words and resulting in 
sinful actions. When we lash out with angry words and actions, uh, here's Baxter said it this way, and I, I thought this would be a good criteria. Would you want your picture taken in that situation? Of course, now we could even, of course, he, wouldn't, he didn't have cameras back then. Well, he probably meant your picture painted in that situation. But uh, we could expand on that. Would you want a video of that uh, situation taken? It deforms your countenance. And he says you ought to consider how unlovely and displeasing you are to those who see you like this. So when it causes us to act unbecomingly, so as to use sinful words or actions. Number four, when it causes us to wrong one another by our words and deeds or to treat others in ways in which we would not like to be treated. So just the basic golden rule there, would you want someone to treat you that way? It's a good criteria to determine if this is sinful anger. It is this kind of anger is an enemy to love and to the good of others. Number five, <clears throat> when it is mistaken and with no just cause behind it. In other words, you know, we may think we have a righteous cause to be angry about, but m many times, because we haven't really seen what the situation is, there was no righteous cause there. And uh, so that makes it to be sinful. If you fly off the handle and later, when we find out what really happened, we see that we got mad about something that we misunderstood. That's why the Scripture says we should be slow to anger. Slow down here a little bit and find out what, you know, maybe there's no reason uh, to be upset at all in this situation. Slow to anger. God's slow to anger. If we're going to be like God... God-like, we need to be slow to anger. Number six, when it is greater in measure than that which provoked the anger. In other words, it may be that there was some righteous uh, cause here that brought forth some anger on your part. But if you go beyond the measure of, of whatever that was, it becomes unrighteous. Um, Overreacting is one way anger can be sinful. Something displeases us, but we allow that to escalate uh, into an unrighteous anger. Um, Proverbs 15.18 says this, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger pacifies contention. So here's... Here's a hot-tempered person. It just stirs up things more and more. Uh, makes the situation worse than what it should be. Uh, number seven. When it makes us unfit to do our duty to God or man. Now, that's very similar to uh, a number of these that we've looked at already. Unfit to do our duty. It especially towards God, because uh, anger will unfit you for prayer. It will unfit you for any communion with God. It will unfit you for worship. Um, besides that, it certainly dishonors God if you say that you're a Christian.
Number eight, when it hinders love, brotherly kindness, and the good we might do for others. When there are angry thoughts in our mind, um, even if we don't express them outwardly, it'll keep you from showing kindness and love to that person the way you should. You may think, well, I kept that under, but it, it keeps you from doing right to the person. So if it hinders brotherly, uh, uh, brotherly kindness or love and the good we might do others, it's an unrighteous anger. And number nine, when it encourages malice, revenge, contentions, division, uh, oppression of those under us, and dishonor of those over us. I just wanted to read uh, from the little booklet here on that one. Um, He says... He mentions here in, uh, malice and revenge and contentions and division. Well, he, says, he says we should consider how much other sin stem, stems from sinful anger, how much other sin comes from it. How many oaths and curses does it, not cause, does it cause every day? How many rash and sinful actions? What villainy uh, has anger done? What... Uh, it has, uh, it has slandered, blasphemed, reproached, falsely accused, and injured many thousands. It has murdered and ruined families, cities, and states. It has made parents kill their children and children dishonor their parents. It has made kings oppress and murder their subjects and subjects rebel and murder kings. What a world of sin is committed by sinful anger throughout this whole world. So just all the things that uh, come out, you know, um, from just this area of anger. Number 10, when it lasts too long and does not cease when it has accomplished its purpose. In other words, this might, again, might be a situation where there's even a righteous anger. But if it keeps on too long it becomes sinful. Maybe that's part of what uh, Paul was talking about. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not allow your displeasure, even if it was for a just cause, to go on past the proper time, uh, to go on beyond the cause. Um, Another thing that we might put in this area here, something going on too long, is when you think back on something from the past, and that brings you to anger again. Um, Not meditating on past injuries might fit in that category uh, also. And then number 11, when it is used as a means to further our selfish, carnal, and sinful ends, when we are angry because of our pride, profit, enjoyment, or fleshly will is crossed. So, um, pride and selfishness, really, I think is what he's bringing out here, are the root of most anger. 
If, you, if, 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 pride, if pride and selfishness at the root of that anger, you can be sure it's not a righteous, godly anger. Um, in Proverbs again, it says, um, An arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. It's, it's, it's arrogance, it's sinfulness, it's pride that's down at the root of anger, most always. Well, um, that was just the first section of the book. In the last section, he goes, he goes through, well, in the middle, he goes through some things of uh, excuses that we try to make uh, for anger. But then in the last section... Uh, he gives some practical directions against sinful anger. And I, I just wanted to read a couple of those to you here. Uh, he says that the principal help against sinful anger lies in accustoming the soul to right attitudes. And by that he means our hearts should ever be aware of the mercy of him that forgave us and keeps us and of the grace that assists us and heals us. Our hearts should also be mindful of the love we owe to God and man. So just a right basic attitude of, of the kindness and patience, uh, the long-suffering of God towards us uh, as a means of helping us to be that way towards others. And then he says... Um, be careful to keep a humble spirit that does not think too highly of itself, for humility is patient and does not exaggerate injuries. Um, he says, A proud man considers things as heinous and intolerable that are so said or done against him. He that thinks lowly of himself sees things done and said against him as of little significance. He that magnifies himself sees offenses against him also magnified. You think you're important, then, you know, you get upset by just about anything. So I thought those were two good things uh, to remember. And he has a number of others here. But I wanted to, I, I, I felt like this was a little bit, um, you know, not encouraging by looking at all these things related to anger. And I kind of wanted to turn a page because I was reading some from this man Fenelon today, and some of these things, although he wasn't deal, dealing specifically with anger, uh, but just with our sin in general, I thought these helped put a positive uh, view related to what we're talking about here. Help us leave with something positive. First of all, <clears throat> he says, God never makes us sensible of our weakness except to give us his strength. In other words, if we see that we, we fail in this, and we all do some, well, we just need to realize that God's showing us that to show us our weakness so that he can show us what his strength can do in our lives. Um, 
another thing that Fenelon says is, mm -hmm. as the reflections of our pride <laughs> upon our defects are bitter, disheartening, and, and uh, vexatious, in other words, as we look at these things, they can be uh, our defects, our sins like anger, it can be disheartening and bitter. So the return of the soul towards God is peaceable and sustained by confidence. You will find by experience how much more your progress will be aided by this simple, peaceful turning towards God than by all your chagrin and spite at the faults that exist in you. And what he's saying there is that you're going to do a lot you're going to accomplish a lot more in, in terms of really dealing with this sin by uh, turning to God with it instead of turning inward and saying how, you know, how rotten I am. And he actually, um, well, let me, let me read the next one. Uh, I think it fits in here. Our faults, even those most difficult to bear, will all be of service to us if we make use of them for our humiliation without relaxing our efforts to correct them. It does no good to be discouraged. It is the result of a disappointed and despairing self-love. That's, that's something. See, he says if you get discouraged by your sin, all that is is it's a result of a disappointed and despairing self-love. I just didn't live up to what I should be, you know. Well, what you are is what you are. You need to face up to that. The true method of profiting by the humiliation of our faults is to behold them in all their deformity without losing hope in God and without having any confidence in ourselves. See, you, you kind of disappointed yourself there. Well, that, there's not going not to be any... That's a pride thing. Your, your, your hope comes and your help comes when you just get away from that and say, I need God. And uh, not losing our confidence in what God has promised to do in our lives. And then he says this, the realization of God's presence is the one sovereign remedy against temptation. Well, he's talking about sin in general here, but but it fits here, too, the realization of God's presence. We're always in the presence of God, but most of the time we don't realize that. And if, we, if that becomes a reality to us, that is going to help a great deal in this area of sin in general and anger specifically. And then lastly, uh, and this one... Uh, may not seem to fit exactly, but to me it's one of the, the most helpful. <clears throat> and you have to think about this one. God's treasury, where he keeps his children's gifts, will be like many a mother's store of relics of her children, full of things of no value to others, but precious in his eyes for the love's sake that was in them. You almost have to read it uh, and not have it read to you to see what, he, what he's saying here. 
But the things that mean a lot to God are not these kind of victories that we looked at here. They're the things that were done for him out of love. And in this area of dealing with sin, in this area of dealing with sin, it's not me trying to overcome this so I'll be a better person. It's because of the love of Christ, I want to, I want to do this for him. And this is what Fenelon saying here. God's treasury, where he keeps his children's gifts, kind of picture in heaven, there aren't going to come any big arches like this. But the things that mean something to God are those things that were done for him out of love because you wanted to please him. If you go to my, my parents' home in Garland, you'll see some things on the wall there that you would say, that really isn't the greatest artwork. <laughs> but you know why mom has it up there? Because I made it. <laughs> and you know someday when they're auctioning that stuff off somebody will say oh, why in the world did you even keep that but you see it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't done very well and it wasn't perfect that's for sure and there's a lot better artwork in the world <clears throat> but it meant a lot to her because I did it for her out of love. And I imagine if you go shuffling through her uh, chest of drawers, you'll find some stuff in there that she's kept just because it was given to her out of love. And that's, you know, that's the things. If we're, tr if we're trying to please God in dealing with our sin, even if it's imperfect, that means something to the Lord. So, I think that should be an encouragement to us in whatever area of sin we're dealing with. That'll mean something to God. That's, really, that's what he's saying here in this, in this proverb we started out with. You know, in the world... Conquering a city means something. But if, 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 if you're seeking to please God in what you do, it's because you want to please Him, because you care, you love Him, because He's loved you. That's a big, that's a big thing. And that's what he's saying there. Um in that verse. You're slow to anger. It's better than mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Well, uh, some thoughts that from Richard Baxter and uh, this man named Fenelon.
Anyone have something else to share?